0: All right, um, we're going to continue in Acts tonight, and we're going to start in chapter two. Um, I would like to do a pretty thorough walk through the book of Acts as we go, but it will be a walk through that's sort of uh, by the end. It's sort of an ag- in ag- in aggregate. Okay, uh, so we're, we might skip around and do like a theme in a section, but. Hopefully, by the end of our time, we will have covered, you know, fairly systematically. But it won't be necessarily linear, is what I'm trying to say. So tonight, we're going to talk about um, chapter 2, and and really the end of chapter 2, and a a portion of chapter 4 and 5. But I want to come back at some point and talk about Peter's sermon, and the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit falling. So we're going to kind of skip over that tonight, but we'll come back to it, don't worry. Um, Because that is... That's really one of the more significant uh, portions in the New Testament. Um, so Acts two forty-two through forty-seven give us a picture of the very first Christian community, uh, kind of what their what their lifestyle was all about. So let's read uh, Acts two forty-two, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Those who are being saved. I was reading that this week. And um, just like those 40 days of waiting where Jesus appeared to the disciples and was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Just like that threw me back into the book of Exodus where Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days to be with God. To receive the instructions for the tabernacle. To receive the law of God. The covenant of God. And the directions for living. Um, That threw me back. And so I was sort of had Exodus in my mind and Moses in my mind. And I came to this section and it reminded me of another portion in Exodus that I want to go to. It's Exodus 35. So remember, as Moses was up on the mountain, he was receiving instructions for the tabernacle. And um, this is a chapter that comes right after. um, Well, they break the covenant and there's all of the stuff with the golden calf. But then they finally (laughs) renew the covenant and can finally get to work on the tabernacle. In uh, chapter 35, verse 4 says this, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. Let him bring the Lord's contribution gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing, and on and on. And uh, skip down to chapter or verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who are of a willing heart. They brought all these things, uh, verse 28 or verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Read a couple more here uh, down in chapter 36. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. So this reminded me of this passage in Exodus, which has captured me over the years, As the way that the house of the Lord, the way that construction, the way that the work of the house of the Lord begins. Once the plan, right, God sends the blueprint. He says, this is what it looks like. And then once the plan begins to be executed, there's this great free will offering of raw materials that comes. And then God puts skilled people to take all those materials and turn them into the tabernacle. And this is symbolic for us of God building the church. Here in the book of Acts, it says that the Holy Spirit falls. Jesus had spoke with them for 40 days about the kingdom of God, what life is supposed to be like. And as the Spirit falls and 3,000 souls are added, it says, and then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles teaching? It was about the kingdom of God. It was the pattern they had received from Jesus during those 40 days. Well, really, for the, over the course of the three years that he had been teaching. The fellowship. They, they devoted themselves to fellowship. That, that is common life. Life together. And the breaking of bread and the prayers. And it says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And it says they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There was no obligation. There was no guilt. This was a completely free outpouring of what the Holy Spirit had done in their hearts. They had joyful hearts and generous hearts, and they were bringing raw materials to the apostles, to do the work of the kingdom. So I hope you can see the parallel there. The house of the Lord, here's the the main point, the house of the Lord is built with the offerings of willing hearts. The house of the Lord is built with the offerings of willing hearts. This portion of Acts goes on in chapter 4, Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Back in Exodus, the offerings that they brought were basically the plunder that the Egyptians had given them on the way out of of Egypt. And the reason they had so much nice stuff is because the Egyptians sent them away, loaded down with treasure. So as they left Egypt... They had all this valuable stuff. And when it was time to build the sanctuary, they said, you know, this is what I imagine their realization was. This is what I imagine their willingness came from. You know, this stuff isn't really mine anyway. It was treasure that was given to me on the way out of Egypt by the Egyptians. I'm going to give this to the work of the Lord. That's probably the best use for it. These people in the book of Acts, after the Holy Spirit has fallen after the kingdom of God has come to them in a very real way, they they realize, hey, none of my stuff belongs to me anyway. (laughs) None of my stuff is really my own. And this is what you come to realize as soon as you meet the maker of heaven and earth, as soon as you get to know him, you start to realize that you didn't make anything. (laughs) You haven't created anything. You haven't said, let there be anything. Everything that we have is just a stewardship of what God has given us. So it says, after they realized this, they realized that, hey, it's, since none of it's really my own, then you have just as much of a, of a right to my stuff as I do to yours, because it's all from God. And this was the realization, this was what was behind the willing hearts, And it talks about, it says, with great power, the apostles, verse 33, were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the, the apostles' feet. So there was no need, just like back in Exodus. There's plenty of stuff for the work here in the book of Acts. It says nobody had any need. Because everybody's heart was willing, and no one said that anything that he had was his own. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, this is the first mention of Barnabas, by the way. He's a key player in in Paul's ministry, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is awesome. But unfortunately, we have a chapter break here that breaks up what the, the point of the story is. Barnabas, man, he sold a field and laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet. Let's skip the chapter break and keep on with the story. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. But to God, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Now, I don't know. I mean, this is a troubling story. And I don't know what exactly is going on here. Please don't ask me to explain it, what actually happened. Did God kill him? Did Peter kill him? (laughs) What happened here? It says, all we know is what the text says. It says, he fell down and breathed his last. Perhaps the conviction was so great, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, a moment of conviction comes upon you and it affects you physically. Right? Perhaps the conviction was so great that it actually killed Ananias. He realized what he had done. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. This is a picture, and this, the, the point of this story is about how not to join yourself to the work of the kingdom. All of this stuff is going on and you have to read it in conjunction with what's happening because you get this great vision and it throws you back to the days of Moses gathering the contributions for the tabernacle. I going, hey, this is amazing. People are just so generous and there's so much that we don't even have any need and we got to tell people to stop bringing stuff. Ananias and Sapphira go, wow, what an amazing thing's going on. Hey, let's sell the field. Oh, Man. Houses are going like crazy. We got way more than... There was a bidding war. We got way more than we asked for. Let's just keep the extra. And we could probably, we could probably turn that into something else. And their sin is not that... Not that they didn't give all the money. It's that they lied. They kept back some for themselves. So apparently they had indicated either to God by a vow or to even Peter, we are going to give this much. And they made that known publicly, but privately they held back for themselves. What's happening is they wanted to appear more generous and willing than they actually were. They had made some kind of commitment to God or the apostles to give the whole proceeds, but then they back out. They alter the deal. (laughs) The voice of Darth Vader just came into my mind. Pray I don't alter it further. Their sin, it was a sin of darkness. It was a sin of hiding. It was a sin of ulterior motives, of private agendas, Conflict of interest. And this is an ancient sin that has plagued the people of God from the point in time that there were two humans walking the earth. The presence of God cannot abide lying and hiding. You remember... When the people of Israel go into the land, everything is going great until Achan hides something. And everything comes to a screeching halt. And he's another one who dies in a very sad and tragic way. Adam and Eve themselves, following their rebellion, they hide themselves and try and cover themselves, keeping back part of themselves from God. And that's what Achan had done. He kept back part of the plunder for himself. Same exact thing as Ananias and Sapphira, keeping back something for themselves. In the case of Adam and Eve, there was a level of agreement even in the sin between the two of them, right? Eve took it, then she gave it to Adam. Just like we see in Ananias and Sapphira, they had agreed together somehow to deceive God, to lie to the Holy Spirit. And that just compounds the problem. But what awaits all of those who have a divided heart in giving, uh, in giving themselves to the work of God, always in Scripture you see God himself coming down and his very presence being there, and you see either death or exile, death or banishment. This is something that God's presence cannot abide. Here in this passage in Acts, the Holy Spirit is so present and so active. And so this act of lying is so severe. Right back in Genesis, God came down and he said, he asked a question in kind of the same tone of voice that you hear in Peter's question. He says, where are you? When Achan takes some of the devoted things, Joshua's praying to God and God comes down. It's one of the few times you see God Actually, intervene. He's like, We're going to get, we have to get this figured out. Joshua, get up on your face. There's sin in the camp. You have to go deal with it. And so the house of the Lord is built with the offerings of willing hearts. But the exact opposite is true when hearts become willing publicly, but privately are keeping back something for themselves. It does not promote the work. It does not meet needs. In fact, it brings death into the camp, into the people of God. Everything comes to a screeching halt because there's darkness. There is some part of this that is not totally willing and a free will offering to the Lord. And so this is something that in in the work of the kingdom, we have to be careful about. And so, very simply, I just have a caution and an encouragement. And then that's, that's the extent of it. You know, I, I didn't want to preach a long time on Ananias and Sapphira because I like to just move on. But there's a point here for us, okay? And there's a point of examination here for us, application. So there's a caution in this story. And here's the caution. The desire to appear to have attained to a glad and generous heart is a deadly toxic desire. The desire to appear generous is death. The worst way to try and grow in your walk with God is to operate out of desire to have a reputation for godliness. That's the very worst way to pursue godliness. To work on your appearance. To try and fit in. The very worst way to be generous is to, is to give publicly where people can see. To let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Jesus says don't give so that people can see. What good is that? <laughs> What are you going to do? You've received your reward. They saw you. That's what you wanted. That's what you got. So the caution is that to be motivated to seem a certain way, to seem like part of the people of God, is the complete opposite of life-giving and growth. It results in death and banishment. There's a particular, underneath this big caution, there's a, there's a unique caution, I think, for couples. Okay. Be sure that you don't follow your spouse into self-deception. If your spouse starts to pursue godliness in this way, don't aid and abet them. Like Peter said, how is it that you've agreed together to lie to the Holy Spirit? This, there's a danger here. We desire to preserve our relationship with our spouse more than we desire to walk in the truth and to have an actually generous and willing heart. And so our heart's not really in it, but we want to keep up appearances. Our husband or our wife can come alongside and kind of harbor that with us. But there's a particular caution here for couples you need to call out self deception. Where it exists in your marriage, particularly when it's about pursuing the Holy Spirit of of giving yourself to the work of God. So there's the caution, right? And the caution is pretty sober. When we set out to give ourselves to the work so that we can be seen to be giving ourselves to the work but we, our hearts don't really belong to the work where it's not really, our heart hasn't moved us and we don't have a glad and a generous heart. We have a hidden and ulterior motive in our heart. That v- very serious consequences lie at the end of that road. But there's an encouragement here too. All right, these, these stories should be told together. You see the positive on the one hand, the negative and Ananias and Sapphira together, but they balance each other out. Definitely the work comes to a screeching halt with Ananias and Sapphira, but let's focus on, for the encouragement, let's focus on the positive thing here. Here's the encouragement. It's fine if you're not quite totally there yet in having a glad and generous heart. While your life is yours, you're free to do with it as you please. Just don't try and seem godly. You go, you pray, you figure out what God wants you to do with your life. And when your heart is willing and obedient, when you've come to the end of yourself, then give what God has told you to give. And do it with a glad and generous heart. Right? So the encouragement is that, hey, <laughs> there's no pressure. Because God doesn't build with pressured offerings anyway. God doesn't build his kingdom out of your guiltily given offering. It doesn't do anything for the work. Your life kind of begrudgingly given to a friend, to your home group, you sort of sitting there and, well, yeah, I guess we got to be here. I guess we got to be here at church, you know. That doesn't do anything. And so just keep your life (laughs) until you're ready to give it. With a glad and generous heart. So there's an encouragement. Don't, there's no pressure. All right? But there's an even, maybe that's not an encouragement. Maybe that's more of an exhortation. I don't know what it is. But here's an actual encouragement. You remember the widow's mite? This is a story that Luke told in his gospel. The widow comes, she puts in two mites, whereas the Pharisees come, and they put in large offerings, but what they're doing is they're giving out of their abundance. Jesus says she's put in more than all of them. So the encouragement is this. It's not the amount. It's not the amount that you give. And this is where Ananias and Sapphira fell into deception. Hey, we're still giving quite a bit. Well, that's not really what the point is anyway. But it's the desperation and humility demonstrated by total surrender of our possessions and our belongings, of our very lives, of our time. It's the surrender of that that's valuable. It's not the quantity of that that's valuable. And so the good thing is that all God needs is the willingness in order to build his house. All he needs is complete willingness and a generous heart. And we have everything we need for the house of God to be built. Right? When we start to get and we play the quantity game, we play the comparison game, try and measure ourselves. And what we're doing is we're keeping back for ourselves as much as possible. While still saying that we can still still being able to claim that we're giving ourselves to the work of God. God doesn't need that, and He can't use that. He doesn't use it. All He needs is your total willingness, and it has nothing to do with how much you bring to the table, and everything to do with the way that you bring it to the table. Okay, you can be a widow with two mites. And God says, I can use that. I've been waiting for those two mites. Meanwhile, people are just pouring out offering after offering and you see them and you get more and more guilty and more and more ashamed of yourself. And what they're doing is giving so that they can be seen. And you're contributing to their self-deception because you see them and you go, whoa, look how much you give. That's not what that's not how God builds his church. God builds his church with the offerings of willing hearts. Period. God builds his church, his household <clears throat> with the offerings of willing hearts and he makes beautiful things. Because what he what he builds with is beautiful. The church is beautiful because there's a, a widow's mite here. There's a widow's mite there, and there's a widow's mite there. There's a, there's a sincere, generous offering here. There's a sincere sacrifice here, and it's just so beautiful. And the house, as the disciples said, Jesus, look at all these beautiful stones on this temple. And he says, all of this is coming down. I have a house that you can't even imagine the beauty and it's the offerings of willing hearts. But when that self gets, when, that, when the keeping back, when the lying starts to creep in, when the appearance bug bites us, everything comes crumbling down. All right, so there, you can see the caution there, but there's also a deep encouragement here that all the pressure is off. We wait on the Holy Spirit And we talked about purity of purpose last week. This is purity of purpose. To wait until your heart, by the Holy Spirit, is moved to give yourself with a glad and generous heart. And generous, another way to translate that is simplicity. Right? There's simplicity. God wants us to be simple people. Yeah, we just gave it because he's good. That's a simple thing. I gave all of Jesus gave all of himself to me. So I give all of myself to him. That's a simple way to live. That's a simple formula. And it's a beautiful one. It it gets complex when we start to mix in all the different motives and all the different uh, appearance driven uh, contributions. All right. So I want to encourage us that. God doesn't need any of your striving. Of your, attempt, of your attempts to keep up with the rest of everybody else. He can't do anything with that, actually. And it's a waste of everybody's time. But what he can use is when you just see how good he really is, when you recognize how much he really has just given you everything, and you offer it back to him as a sacrifice of praise. And so this goes for our time our money yes our possessions certainly our material possessions this is that's kind of like level 1 but this is symbolic and indicative of the way that we relate to god in general do we really see ourselves as belonging to him would we really open up a letter saying ben a bondservant of jesus a slave of jesus do we really see ourselves like that Paul really saw himself like that. The apostles really saw themselves as servants of the master. And that's a simple thing, but it's hard to get to. It's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom because of how much we have to offer. That's not what God needs. God needs those two mites. God needs those two things that are all we have to live on, so we think. And he says, yes, I'm going to build my house. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, you would build this church as a beautiful house. Lord, I thank you for the lives in this room that are given willingly to you. I thank you that... um, you take our meager offerings and you, you create a beautiful dwelling place for yourself. And Lord, I pray that if there's any heart in this room that struggles with uh, the appearance thing, with the, uh, that, that struggles to fully surrender and fully trust you, Lord, if there's any heart that uh, keeps back something for themselves, Lord, search us and know us. Lord, we do not want to be like Ananias and Sapphira. We don't want to be like Achan. We don't want to be like Adam and Eve who thought they knew and took a little bite for themselves and then hid themselves from you because of it. Lord, I pray that we'd be wide open before you and that everything that we give, everything that we offer to the work of your kingdom, Lord, our time, our money, our friendship, our resources, Lord, everything that we offer would just be from a willing heart because you are worthy and you are good. I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that this word would go deep down into our lives, that this wouldn't be uh, just the, the, uh, the neat point of the week. But, Lord, this would be a way that we live, that, that we would be a people of willing hearts so that we could see your household established among us. And we thank you for that, Lord, and pray that you would be with us this week as we continue through, your, uh, through this wonderful book that you've left us, the testimony of your apostles. Uh, Lord, open our eyes and make us uh, like the church that you died for. Lord, make us the, the beautiful bride that you gave your life for. And I pray that you would, uh, that you would be proud of the work that we've done not because of us, Lord, but because of how much you have won us over completely. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would help us to uh, be sensitive to conviction in this area where we need to be, Lord. But I also pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, walk free of comparison and free of uh, appearance-driven offerings, God, that we would offer our whole selves to you with willing hearts. Help us, Lord. We can't, we can't come to that place on our own. You can bring us there, Lord, and I pray that you bring us all there completely, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. amen.